Welcome to another episode of the Grafted Life Podcast, a ministry of Grafted Life and ESDA. We're hosting conversations around the topics of Christian spiritual formation, spiritual direction, soul care, and life with God. It's 2023, which means some changes are coming for our new podcast. Stay tuned all the way to the end for a special announcement. In the meantime, grab your favorite drink, settle in, and enjoy our interview with ESDA's soul care facilitator, Mike Bowden. Mike is a longtime missionary with TEAM, and he has a stirring story of transformation, which will surely draw you closer to the heart of God. Are you ready? Let's get going. Let me just start by saying welcome back to Kelly. Kelly is on staff with Grafted Life. She's a, I don't know, what are you, administrative assistant? <laughs> yeah. I, I like to think of you as so much more, Kelly. You you really hold so much uh, in place for us with our ESDA membership. Mm. And you help out with this podcast quite a bit. You were a guest uh, co-host, I would say, on the uh, uh, recording we did with Joe Chambers, and that was so good. So we wanted to have you back again, Kelly, and you're willing to do that as we interview Grafted Life, ESDA's soul care facilitator, a guy that we know and love so well, Mike Bowden. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Hi, Adam. Hi, Kelly. Good to be here with you. We're glad that you could make some time. I mentioned earlier that we are just a little ways away from our ESDA gathering, so you'll be flying out to Arizona, as as was Kelly, and I'll be here, and Carol Ann, and um, Kurt and Debbie Swindoll, and about 100 of our ESDA membership will join us. So thank you for taking time on the front end uh, to do this recording with us. We're going to talk a little bit about the gathering, but before we do... Mike, tell us where where you where you live, where you're calling in from today, and uh, is that home for you? Is that uh, like is that where you grew up? Did you grow up in Michigan? Or uh, I grew up in Michigan, over near Detroit. Uh, actually, we moved out of Detroit, close to Ann Arbor. Then I ended up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, for a while, and then uh, yeah, then we ended up overseas, and now I'm back in Michigan in the southwest side, so close southwest. to Lake Michigan. Yeah, we can walk to. Walk to the Lake Michigan and watch the sunsets. Oh man, that's great! Yeah, beautiful. beautiful. Well, you mentioned a little bit about going overseas. We'd love to hear you just tell us some of your story, Mike. Would you? Uh, a lot of people know you, but uh, when when we get together for our, our gatherings and um, over the years, you try to not make it about you. So this might be a little uncomfortable for you because we really do want to make this episode a little bit about you. We'd love to hear some of your story. How did you hear that call for missions, enter into that missionary role and uh, with team? Uh, what led you to the mission field? And I guess, how, how did you experience life with God while you were serving in, in Eastern Europe? Yeah, I mean, that could be something we could talk about for the next uh, couple hours, but I'll try to shorten it a little bit. <laughs> so, actually, when I think way back to the beginning, uh, not of Genesis, but, you know, back to <laughs> when I was young and single uh, and a kid is actually my grandparents uh, came over from England and my grandpa grandfather passed away and my grandmother came to live with us and you know I would sit on the floor and she would tell stories of England 
And I was just like, I was just captivated. I just love to hear my grandma talk about stories in England. And I think that kind of captured something in my heart about just going overseas. And so actually my very first trip that I took, it wasn't planned that way, but my very first trip was I, I actually had never been overseas before and led a group to England. And I can still remember walking off that plane and just all the memories of my grandma telling the stories and to think, here I am, I'm in England. Mm. It was just an absolute miracle. I mean, back in those days, what years were those? Those were like the, yeah, those were the 80s. You know, th that was before we were traveling around the world so often. And so it was just an absolute miracle for me to be walking off the, off the plane after hearing those stories and thinking, here's the connection. And so um, that was kind of the beginning. And that time in England just really captured, again, it captured something in me and it led to another trip to England. And then it led to uh, a time in Amsterdam, working with drug addicts in Amsterdam with Youth of the Mission. Mm-hmm. And then I met my wife, and she had been in Japan uh, for two and a half years, and she had been with an organization called TEAM, uh, the Evangelical Alliance Mission. And she just really loved TEAM, and I was planning on going to Amsterdam. She was planning on going back to Japan. It's like, if we're going to get married, we got to agree on a place, you know. So <laughs> yeah. we took some time praying about it, and yeah, I guess just felt the Lord's leading to go to the Czech Republic uh, it was kind of new, the, you know, the walls, the, the wall had just fallen. And so we ended up in the Czech Republic and raised our kids there and were there for 17 years. What did you love so much about the mission field there? Well, you know, I think that's a hard, it's actually maybe a bit of a hard one to, to answer because I mean, it's love, but it also, there was a great cost and it was, there were some deep difficulties. There were some things that yeah. I mean, when you raise your family, you're away from your, you know, the grandparents, you're away from family, you're away from mm -hmm. everything in the States. And I love the cross-cultural work. I loved working with the Czechs. Um, but yeah, there it's a tough, tough language. And there was mm -hmm. just, you know, there was a lot of things that the Lord was doing in me, mm -hmm. you know, showing up, getting on an airplane, showing up in another country doesn't make you mature. It doesn't change you a lot. And actually it becomes very confusing as is you thought you were much more mature than you were. All of a sudden, you're in this other culture, and it brings up a lot of your own stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, really, a lot of living overseas was the Lord doing a, a deep work in my life um, and kind of revealing a lot of stuff that needed to be revealed. Mm -hmm. And if I were to kind of like skip way down the road, you know, I came to a place of a bit of a crisis, feeling like, you know, I've gotten good at knowing how to do ministry. Mm -hmm. I can kind of pull it off and I'd get together with, you know, other missionaries and we'd say, we're going to talk about more personal things of our heart and we'd be together. And it's like, after a few minutes, we were talking about strategies and church planning. Mm -hmm. And I remember leaving those meetings feeling like, just feeling lonely. It's like, is that all I am is a missionary? And there's got to be more. It's like, I had this longing that there must be something more to the spiritual life. And, um, and I was actually using ministry, I think I was using ministry to kind of hide from God instead of like this outflow. It didn't start out that way, but I think that the weariness and the difficulties of being in church planner in what's considered one of the most atheistic countries in the world, that it took its toll. And yeah, I began longing 
for something much deeper and didn't know how to find it, which was, you would think as a missionary that you would, if anybody would know how to find it, but I would, I would not know how to find it. And I felt like when I was with other missionaries, we didn't know how to talk about those kind of things. And that kind of set me, set my heart looking for something deeper. And I believe it was the Spirit's work in me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what did you find? How did, how did you navigate your way through this crisis point? Yeah, well, I, you know, I mean, I mean, those, that's the thing is dark times are dark times. You know, there's no, mm-hmm. there's no easy way like, oh, if you just do this, it's going to go away. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it seemed like it got worse. It got darker and darker. You know, I could maybe name it a dark night of the soul, at least in some ways. Um, you know, and here I was a missionary and I felt like I'm at such a place. I'm not sure if I even know how to lead a, a Bible study right now. I mean, I was just, I was in a, I was in a dark place and my wife actually came home from a Bible study with a couple other ladies that she was in other, other missionaries. And one of them was going to study spiritual direction. And she kind of explained what spiritual direction was to my wife. My wife came home and she said, Michael, I, I think that just really sounds like you. And so I said, well, spiritual direction sounds weird. <laughs> so I, I wasn't interested. And uh, lo and behold, I got a book. Uh, the person that told my wife about it, uh, she lent, lent me a book called The Practice of Spiritual Direction by Barry and Connolly. Mm-hmm. And I read that and I thought, that's what I've been longing for. Mm. You know, I felt like, yeah, trying to be a church planner, trying to be successful, trying to win people to Christ that just weren't really very interested. Um, and this idea of spiritual direction of just coming alongside and help people pay attention to whatever God is doing in their life. It mm-hmm. just felt like, like when I read it, I just, it's like, that's what I've been longing for. So so I applied to North Park Seminary in Chicago and, uh, yeah, was accepted. And it was a two-year program that I could still, we could still continue living overseas. And there was something about that, which I think I've heard a lot of people that have studied spiritual direction, maybe especially evangelicals that have studied spiritual direction. There was something in that that became extremely transformational in my life. It's like I began to see that God was much more relational and I had preached about God's love. I had taught about God's love, but I began, it's like God began doing something different in me. And, you know, I think one of the books that was very profound in my life was actually um, Henry Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal. And, you know, as I read that book, it was just, yeah, it just had a very, very profound effect. And, you know, God has a way of weaving. I mean, my, I was back in the States for, for three weeks because my mom, by myself, my mom was dying of cancer and I was staying with her. She was sleeping most of the time. I was upstairs, you know, at her house, and I'm reading this book, The Return of the Prodigal. And I just had a sense of God just really speaking to me, you know, that it was more about a love relationship than just being busy for God. And it was really Mm -hmm. in that place, because I had been praying for probably a year, just walking the streets at night. You know, I'd get home from ministry, and the family would be sleeping, and I'd go walk our dog, and like, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? And I felt like he wasn't listening. And it was upstairs at my mom's house back in Fort Wayne, Indiana, that I just felt like the Lord whispered to me, Mike, if I called you just to help others to understand how, I, how much I love them, would that be enough? <laughs> and I responded, yes, Lord, that would be, I mean, it was a very, it was a very 
very powerful time. Uh, and I said, yes, Lord, that would be enough. And so I feel like that's, I feel like that's my calling is to come alongside, listen well, and experience that love in my own life. You know, to be honest and authentic about that. When I do, when I don't, the struggles I go through when I when I'm not really resting in God's love. But I really feel like that's my calling as a spiritual director or whatever ministry I'm part of is to help others understand how deeply they're loved. Because I think a lot of our Otherwise, I think we end up in a lot of performance, a lot of productivity, all these other things we end up in. I think that a lot of it can settle down when we can just begin to rest in God's love. And that's not easy Mm -hmm. to find. I think it's something that we need others to walk with us who have experienced that, who understand that, who have taken time to not just talk about it, but but have experienced it deeply and can talk about it from from an authentic place in their life. Mm -hmm. So your time in Fort Wayne... You were not done. You you were just home for a little while. You were still your family was still in Czech Republic. Right. I was I had started studying spiritual direction. So I was back for a week for my course and then I went to spend a couple of weeks with my mom. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, so that was that was the continuing of this kind of dark I wasn't out of the dark place yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. And part of that is the year before my dad had died, and now mm-hmm. you know I'm sitting with my mom. And those are not easy things when you're overseas of when to come home, um, you know, do you bring the whole family, you know, how often do you come home? I mean, those are just, those are, those are not easy ones. No one can tell you exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we had a number of conflicts on our field. I mean, there was just, there was just a lot of things going on, uh, that I, you know, I think the Lord was just, the Lord was doing a lot in me and he used a lot of that type, a lot of those difficult, painful places to, to mm-hmm. get me looking for something more, something deeper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just heard uh, someone say today, uh, they were quoting Scott McKnight, and I'm going to loosely quote Scott McKnight, the author, theologian, um, said something about people change uh, either when they're on a great quest or in a great crisis. Mm-hmm. And that quest part is like when they're really hungry. It sounds like you you were in both. You were noticing on the field, especially this hunger for more, something something deeper, uh, doing something beyond just doing great work for God. Um, right. you, like you said, you knew how to do that. Uh, but then right. in the midst of that crisis. Yeah. And I think that's maybe part of, you know, as a missionary, you know, the great quest is to, you know, to be all motivated. I'm going to go to the Czech Republic <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to bring God to them and, you know, I'm going to change the Czech Republic. So there's, there's maybe the great quest, but then, you begin to realize that that necessarily isn't God's calling or God's quest. That was an awful lot yeah. of yeah, exactly. quest to be a great missionary, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I love that. So how did you navigate being on the mission field with this new desire to basically love people? Well, um, how, how did that look for you? Yeah, well, you know, it was wanting to lo- wanting people to understand how much they, you know, God loved them, but it was in the mm-hmm. context of being a spiritual director, which I could mm-hmm. say in many ways kind of ruined us <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, here I am with an evangelical mission supported by evangelical churches. And uh, you know, Czechs had never heard of it, spiritual direction. It didn't it doesn't even translate all that well. 
and our churches had never heard of it. You know, team wasn't familiar with it. There's people on our field that I was come alongside and they were really loving it. And there's others that were very confused. It felt like I'd gone off the deep end or it, so it, uh, it was, it was really interesting to navigate, uh, that, um, yeah, we lost a lot of our support and it's again, at that time, it's like, am I, am I going in the right direction here? You know, but I don't know there's also those times where God calls and he also gives you, I don't know, is it the perseverance or there's like something there that even though like you're going upstream and a lot of people are confused or don't know what's going on or unfriending you, whatever it might be. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's times those things really affect me. And there's other times where I just, it's like, I know that I know. And I think, I think maybe a part of that is as, as I was meeting with missionaries as a spiritual director, I would see things taking place in their life that I had, that I'd only dreamed of, you know, when I showed up as the one with all the advice and all the answers and, you know, just do this and this and this, you know, tell them about God's love without really listening, without really experiencing my own life. I mean, I had done that type of ministry for so long and I don't want to make it sound like that was all bad and what I was, you know, but, I was so weary of that and then to sit with missionaries or to take them on a retreat, spiritual retreat, and just see, it's like to see the spirit at work. That was so beautiful and captivating to watch without me having to do a lot, without me having to be in control. That it's like, though none go with me, you know, you know, I mean, it was hard, but it was amazing. And it gave me, I think that gave me the the perseverance to keep moving forward. Well, and you didn't jump ship, but you did come home and uh, you still work with team. Tell us a little bit right. about what you do with team now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, I was feeling more and more, it was time for us to come back to the States. Mm-hmm. So home, use the words home. So home, home is a bit of an interesting word for those who have lived overseas. Sure. You know? Yeah. So coming back yeah. doesn't necessarily mean you're coming home, but um, yeah. So we we came back to the states, just feeling like kind of our job was was done in many ways. And you know, our daughter was going off to college uh, in the states in Michigan here, and so yeah, we came back and made the decision. Came back for a home assignment, and made the decision we're going to stay. And um, but what I you know what I'm doing within team now didn't really exist, so I wrote up uh, you know kind of a kind of my dream, a proposal and sent it to the director of member care. And he was like, Mike, I really like this. So we met together and proposed it to team, to team leadership. And actually they came back and said, um, yeah, it's not going to work. So I started looking into a couple other different mission agencies and got a call back, uh, like two days later and said, okay, Mike, we'll give you two days or we'll give you two years uh, to see how this works. And that was 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think there's times when I've done something and I could tell I'm kind of pushing the door open. Mm-hmm. And there's other times where I just have a sense that the spirits at work and the spirits opening doors. And I think, you know, if I would have proposed this in team as an evangelical, you know, mission, probably five years earlier, they probably would have thrown me out as a heretic. But I think within the evangelical world, I think there's been enough struggle and realization. It's like something isn't quite working here. We've missed something along 
you know, it's not, not like we're doing it all wrong, but we've missed something along the way. So I think, you know, as I began meeting with a lot of the leadership in team, a lot of missionaries as spiritual director, I began traveling and leading a lot of spiritual retreats. They were coming to me in Michigan. I think as they experienced that, I think it was hitting on something uh, that was missing, uh, that people were longing for. I think that same longing that I had, that it's not just about being a good missionary doing ministry well, but it's there's something much richer, deeper, that I think that longing that God puts in us for himself, that I think as I as I help people to slow down and pay attention to that, it just be, it became more and more fruitful, and the ministry has just continued to grow. And now there's actually there's a team of six of us hmm. that work in this area of as soul as uh, spiritual care facilitators within mm-hmm. team. That's great. So, Mike, as you came back um, to Michigan, were there other challenges, especially related to Western culture or church experiences? Yeah, and I think I think maybe I've even shared some of those at the at the gathering or different uh, contexts. But um, the interesting thing is, I'm the one that was ready to come back. My wife wanted to stay in check. It's like she didn't want to. She was ready to stay there, and I was I was kind of longing for. I mean, some of the things I longed for was to go into a diner and there and for them to say, "Hey, do you want the usual?" <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's just that longing of belonging in home. You know, where mm-hmm. I don't have to wonder what they said because I didn't quite get the, the context in check or whatever. So I was just mm-hmm. longing for that. And I came back and I just, I really, really struggled. Um, mm. Yeah. So I think especially that first, you know, which the, the term for that is reentry. Okay. And, you know, I used to say, I feel like I'm stuck in a commercial between two shows. It's like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to get back and I don't know how to go forward. And I just feel stuck. And I don't know if you ever have seen the movie Falling. I think it's called Falling Down with Michael Douglas, uh, which I no. think he like loses his job. And then by the day, by the time the day's over, he's like yes. wanted by the police. I forget. But, you yeah. know, it's like one thing happens and it just like spirals down, down, down. Right. And I felt like that really described me in coming back to America as I thought I was coming where I would feel like I really belonged. And um, instead I felt out of place. I recognized that there was a lot of things in American culture. Like when you go overseas, you're wanting to become part of that culture. And then coming back, it's almost the opposite where like, there's something, you know, you're resisting coming back, you know, and I don't say that with disrespect towards American culture or people that have lived here, but it was, it was extremely hard for me. And I remember actually sitting in my car, talking to a friend and saying, um, I'm not sure I'm going to make it like I thought I was going to have a breakdown. I mean, I was in such a hard place. Um, going to church was probably the hardest hour of the week for me. I'd go to church and often I would sneak out, um, you know, and I'd go to the state park and I would spend time in the woods. And that was my, that was my only sanctuary was walking, walking in the state park on the trails. Cause um, yeah, at church, I felt a lot of expectation. People would ask me how I'm doing and then they wouldn't really listen. You like if, I'd have to make that decision. Do I really want to tell them or do I just say I'm doing fine? And if I began to tell, they'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was all that was painful. And, you know, not everybody experiences that that rough. My wife seemed to be doing much, much better emotionally <laughs> than I was, you know, but I, I reached a point where I, I was wondering, am I going to just lose touch 
and you know, am I going to, am, am I going to make it through this? Um, and so it was, um, that f- especially that first year, but it, it, it can take years. You know, they say that after you've served overseas for a length of time, that it takes anywhere from four to 10 years before you kind of feel like you're kind of adjusted back and that many never make it. And so I think mm-hmm. that's a part of missions that you don't really, you're all gung ho to go, you get recruited to go, but no one really tells you, well, if you do your job well, you may never make it. You, you may never mm-hmm. find home again, you know. How and when did you find Drafted Life or ESDA? Yeah, so it was interesting because <clears throat> the thing I was longing for was credibility. You know, 10 or 11 years ago, nobody knew what spiritual direction was. And you know, it's like I thought about taking Larry Crabb's course. You know, he has a course on spirit. And I was going to do that for the only reason was because a lot of people know in the evangelical world, know Larry Crabb. And I was, mm-hmm. so I was, I thought, am I really going to do that just to get some credibility? Mm. So I was really looking for something that could offer credibility that I could say, Hey, it's a bunch of Protestant evangelicals. You know, there's a statement of faith and these are, you know, people that are serving the, you know, the evangelical world. And so, um, so I found ESDA I'm not, don't remember how I found them, but I, you know, I remember just like pouring through the website, you know, I was just so intrigued, longing for that kind of support. And so I joined, I think in, I don't remember 2000, I think I've been a member for about 10 years. For those who don't know, you actually served on staff as the ESDA director. When, when did that happen and how did that happen? So I think that was in 2015 and you know, I think when you have studied spiritual direction, when you've had that kind of experience in sp- with spiritual formation, in, and then you are back in a purely evangelical world, it's like there's a, there's can be a bit of a fear, I'm going to lose this, you know, or it's going to fade. I need somebody, some people around me to support me in that. And so uh, they posted, you know, when Monica stepped down as the director, they posted the job description. And I read through it and I was asked my wife, like, do you think I could do that? And she said, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you could. Mm-hmm. So I think she was more sure than I was, but I sent mm-hmm. in my application and uh, lo and behold, they reached out and I interviewed with, with Debbie and with Monica and with a few others. And uh, yeah, I got the, got the job. And I think that was 2015, but I think that was a big part of my motivation was I wanted to be around some of my some of my people, you know, that where I could, where I could feel supported and people that got what spiritual direction is and what spiritual formation, what that means mm-hmm. in a deeper mm-hmm. way. You, you led, you led ESCA quite well uh, over the years. Um, I know about a year ago, was it a year or so ago, you stepped down from that. You still do the team, you still work with team and you still work with uh, ESDA. And right. uh, why don't you let us know, what your role with ESDA is now. Yeah. So we met in Texas, you know, at Debbie and Kurt's house. Was it a year or two years ago? I forget when that was, but. Um, yeah, I guess it was more was, two years ago. So Yeah. So ESDA had grown to, was it maybe 800 members? And so it had grown quite a bit. And so it was one of those, you know, they asked Mike for you to continue as the director. It means more hours, you know. Mm. And I just felt like, I don't feel like that's my, that, that was my number one calling. And so I wasn't ready to give up the other things I do to pursue being the director. And I'm not sure if that would be my strength, my greatest strength or gifting. So, 
so I stepped down, but didn't leave grafted life. So yeah, so it's kind of like, okay, what's Mike going to do now? And so it was this, this whole idea of soul care, soul care facilitator, where kind of the main things I would do would, which this was just when we were beginning a lot of the stuff, but kind of the, you know, the virtual events and the gathering, that was kind of my, one of the ideas I, Carol Ann loved the idea, but it was kind of something I brought when I first came to ESDA was the idea of the gathering. So those are kind of my, kind of my main areas is, um, yeah, kind of the, the, the virtual events and, uh, and the gathering. So Mike, you love hosting the gathering. Um, I got to see that last year, um, up close and personal. Tell us a little bit more about uh, this year's theme. It's called holding the soul. Where did that come from? Yeah, well, I think I still remember us kind of brainstorming ideas about the the theme. And I think there's just this beautiful, this beautiful part of spiritual direction where, you know, people aren't used to being listened to and people aren't used to someone caring for the soul. And so in a way, as you're sitting there and you create, you know, I've heard someone say, we create this holy space. In some ways, we're holding the soul for someone so that they can receive, that they can listen. And so, yeah, I think that just, to me, that's a beautiful metaphor for spiritual direction is this idea that we actually are are holding the soul uh, for our directories. So what does that look like in spiritual direction, holding the soul? Um. You know, it's maybe a little different for each each directee, maybe a little different for each director. But yeah, I love that. I love the process. I love the relationship. I love the holy space. I love the slowing down. And I love it when, you know, I'm sitting with somebody and they've kind of shared and then asking a question. And you just feel like it's gone to this deep place where no words are needed. Mm. And I, that's, that's a holy place. And that's where kind of that idea of holding the soul that if, if we haven't, if we hadn't created that, they just would have gone on as usual, you know, but being someone, you know, to me, that's just a, there's no, there's no greater privilege than sitting with someone and having them feel safe and be able to open up, open up their soul that they don't have to pretend they don't have to deny what's really going on inside them, but that we can hold the soul and watch, watch God at work. And I think that's the beauty when instead of feeling this pressure that I need to fix, that I need to give advice that I need to make something happen, that I can hold the soul. And in that I'm trusting God. And I'm watching God at work instead of Mike at work. Mm. And there's mm-hmm. something, there's something very, very beautiful there. Mm. Yeah. Well, the, the sub title, I, I guess, of our gathering is uh, exploring God's design for transformation. And uh, so in, in our holding the soul and being the kind of people who are at ease with the process that God is doing the work of transformation, not us. Right. We understand there is something happening um, as we are 
listening others into love, into God's light, into, you know, out of hiding, out of the bushes, um, to be with God in that. And so there's this whole way that God has designed us. Um, and, and we're learning more and more, more and more books are being written right now um, right. on on so many different themes of, of neuro theology or neuroscience attachment. And uh, that's going to be a big part of our gathering together. So tell us a little bit about what you're excited about, what we're going to explore yeah. together. So are you asking what part of the brain I'm experiencing that in right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have a lot to learn. That's what I know. Well, here's what I could say is um, I've read a number of the books and I'm thrilled at the people that are going to be speaking because uh, uh, I deeply appreciate it, but I, I don't know enough about it that I could, I could talk competently about it. So I'm really, really thrilled uh, by that, you know, for the people that are going to be speaking at the gathering and so thankful for the work that many have put into this whole area of neurotheology. Um, but what a what a wonderful I, I guess one thing that's interesting to me is, you know, when you read the books on neurotheology and then you read about spiritual formation, they're kind of coming from two different places, but they're ending up often in the same place. That God has created us to be relational and mm-hmm. that God is long, you know, God has wired us that way. And so so it's not doing something odd or it's not some kind of, you know, that it's actually pay, paying attention to our very design and mm-hmm. our longing for him. And so, um, yeah, I'm not sure if I could talk that much about uh, <laughs> competently about all that I know about it, but I'm just so grateful for those that have studied it more and have a deeper understanding. You know, Diana, mm-hmm. that'll be sharing, um, Neil Seiler, that'll be sharing, mm-hmm. Adam Ormore, that'll be sharing. Um, some of those that will be Debbie sharing. Swindoll will be Debbie Swindoll will be Debbie Swindoll. Sharing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As well as a podcast we have coming up later or a virtual event with Michael Hendricks. Uh, mm-hmm. I think yeah. all those, uh, it's something to pay attention to, you know, that God has wired us this way. God's wired us for joy. Mm. Um, it's not something we have to cook up, you know, that these are, these are deeper things. So Mike, as a soul care facilitator, you mentioned you lead retreats all over the world. And, um, what is it for you about being in community with other spiritual directors? Uh, you know, at the gathering, for example, that really refreshes your soul and gives you life. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I came to the realization a while ago that, you know, cause I do lead re- these spiritual retreats all over the world. And I thought kind of realized maybe I'm doing this cause this is the kind of community I long for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so Maybe I'm doing all this work thinking I'm doing it for everybody else that maybe, but maybe I'm putting it together and cause it's the kind of community I long for mm-hmm. and, but I'm not the only one who longs for it. You know, I mm-hmm. think that many of us are longing for a safe place. And I think for spiritual directors, particularly, you know, if we're in many, many of us are in that are part of ESDA are in environments or churches where we're not very well understood. So we feel like we're a bit on the fringes, you know, someone says, so what do you do? Uh, Mm -hmm. And we're like, well, you know, I remember a missions pastor asked me that. It's like, so what is it that you do, Mike? You know, he was the new missions pastor. And I was like, well, I, um, uh, uh," and I thought, Mike, the longer you say, uh, (laughs) the deeper the hole's getting, like, you don't even know how to talk about what you do, but it's like, do I just come out of the, do do I just say it? I'm a spiritual director. Do I do the dance? You know, like how do, what do I do here? And so we're so used to that environment of, 
kind of doing that dance, that to be together with other spiritual directors, I, I hear it over and over. People say either at the gathering or other things I've organized that's for spiritual directors. They're like, I feel like I'm with my peeps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the other thing that's beautiful about it is as spiritual directors, there's like when we say, let's take some time for silence. And like, there's a deep understanding of all these things. And so it's like, we're ready to go deep and to enter into these, into these different exercises or the, we're ready to enter in as opposed to trying to convince people that solitude is an important thing or whatever. So, yeah. So I just think there's something, something beautiful. And then you get into small groups and you got a bunch of spiritual directors who know how to ask good questions, know how to listen. And so it's like, it's like the dream, you know, <laughs> what you would love to see in our churches, you know, when you have small groups that people would know how to listen, would know how to, how to draw others out, you know, and that really trusting that God's at work. We don't have to, we don't have to convince anything. So it's really, I guess, in, in a way, it's the dream of what, what community can look like, if I can say it that strongly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brings places of deep joy. You can. It does. Yeah. I experience deep joy which makes it all worthwhile for all that it takes to put into, you know, putting these events together. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mike, what are some other places of joy in your life right now? Uh, Places of joy in my life are, well, uh, one is that I, uh, December 24th, I had, we, uh, my wife and I, received our second grandson. Uh, mm, congratulations. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. So, yeah. So to have, to be in that place of life, to have, we have two grandchildren now, mm. both boys, one's a year and a half and one's what, like three, three weeks old. So that's a place of joy. It gives me great joy to watch, you know, I got two girls and to watch them nurture, nurture their little babies, you know, uh, that gives me joy. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm leading actually a retreat this weekend for the elders at our church, you know, and again, our church, they didn't get what I was doing. They, some thought, you know, let's not support this guys, you know, anymore. And they've embraced it. And, you know, I'm leading actually a retreat for the elders and then another retreat for a group of women at the church this, this, this weekend. Mm-hmm. And that just, I don't know, it just gives me great joy to see without forcing, uh, that God, God is opening up doors, you know, opening up places to be able to sit with people and to see their lives, see them experience God in deeper ways. Mm-hmm. I just absolutely love whenever I can have a conversation, be in a relationship where I just sense God is using me uh, just by paying attention uh, to see others uh, come to know him in deeper, real honest, authentic, relational ways. That gives mm-hmm. me, that gives me great joy. Relationships, so relationships give me, uh, relationships give me joy. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And especially relationships where there's time to just spend time together and to relax and enjoy each other. Uh, I just find joy. I just find joy in that. Love it. Yeah. Well, we find joy in you, Mike. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. Let me pray for you. Okay. Thank you. God for the gift of life um, and joy and enjoyment of life with you. 
you've given to Mike and to his family. We celebrate with him, with his wife, with his daughters, with their husbands. We celebrate the gift of, of a new grandson. Uh, we celebrate the gift of um, bringing Mike through a real hard times and seasons uh, that felt um, like everything was on the line. But in the midst of all that, you were loving him and directing him and showing him the, the fullness of uh, the, the gifts he has, that you've given him, uh, the way to use those gifts in, in the kingdom, in your church, for your people, for such a time as this. You've done that in his life. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading so well. And that Mike had an attentive, willing heart. So uh, God bless him. Bless his family, his ministry, and just uh, let him sense your presence and your delight today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank thanks, you, Mike. Uh, yeah, thanks, Adam and Kelly. Thanks for uh, letting me tell part of my story. Yeah. Oh, awesome. It's so good to be with you. Yeah. Blessings to you. All right. And now for our special announcement. Very soon, you'll have new content to look forward to on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month because the Grafted Life podcast is going bi-monthly. Yay! To help take our podcast to the next level, we're also going to have a special guest co-host, someone you know and love if you've been around Grafted Life Ministries for a while. Debbie Swindoll, the founder of Grafted Life, will join me for a new series called Exploring God's Design for Transformation. We're bringing back the speakers from the ESDA gathering. We're going to unpack some of their presentations. We're also going to have a conversation with Michael Hendricks, the author of The Other Half of Church. We don't want you to miss any of these episodes, so be sure to subscribe. And until next time, grace and peace, everyone.